This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. How's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dave Grohl, and I feel somewhat conflicted about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. We have a lovely show. I'm in a good mood. I wouldn't say I'm hitting on all cylinders. If I'm a six-cylinder engine, I think four are working. Um, okay. But, for, but I'm, what I'm saying is, for me, that's pretty good. I think you're six all the time. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Sona, before we get, yeah. get into the show, I understand you have a bit of news that you'd like to share with us? About my dad's birthday. Oh, is it your dad's birthday? Yeah. Today is my dad's birthday. That's great. It's... I love your dad. Your dad is Gil. I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. I love your dad because, and I do a great impression of your dad. Yes. Your dad has a big mustache. And my impression of your dad is I just uh, put my finger under my nose. Yeah. That is it. That's all I do. I take my finger and I put it under my nose and I say, I'm Gil. I'm Gil Movsesian. How are you? Yeah. And there's no attempt to match his voice. It's just a finger under my nose. It's childish and it's silly, but I do wish him a, uh, a happy birthday. Oh, that's nice. You know, it is actually, I hate, I can't, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this right now, <laughs> but it is one of two of his birthdays because my dad did grow up in a village that was very poor. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when they were born, 
the guy who did the birth wait now where which country was he living in at the time he was in he was in a village in turkey in this mm-hmm. uh in a village called sivas or sepastia it's both um but then the village has two i'm sorry to cut you off but i need to get the facts straight it, it the has village two had names two names sivas or sepastias and he has two birthdays he has two so he was born in november but the birth certificate guy doesn't come by all the time and then he puts <laughs> He put the birthday down for the day he came to the village, which was in February. So we lived our whole lives. And I think when my brother and I were in our 20s, my dad's like, you know, this isn't my real birthday. We're like, what? (laughs) He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. In November. And we're like, what? Wait How a minute. does that even work? Wait a minute. Does he know what date he was born in November? No. What? No, no one recorded that? No, because the birth certificate guy didn't come until February. No, no, no. He was I, there know, February I know. February 5th, and he's like, his birthday's today, but he was like a four month old baby. Right. But the birth certificate guy, there's one guy, and he gets around. What's his mode of transportation? Do we know? I mean, come on. I what? don't know. What that's a weird question, and no, I feel it's not. like you want me to set you up for like, oh, uh, the donkey. Like I don't know. That's what it insensitive. Was. Well, I wouldn't do that. That's terrible. Uh, yes, I'm sure. No, I would not. I'm sure he was not riding some beast. Uh, and I. Oh, uh, that's God. ridiculous. I'm sure he was in a Hyundai. You know, I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> yes. matter to me what he was on. <laughs> I think you're the one. You are so afraid that I'll say something insensitive about your culture that you're the one creating all these insensitive stereotypes. Oh, and now okay. I'm. And now I'm picturing the birth certificate guy who's got, uh, you know, a bunch of birth certificates in his burlap sack on a donkey <laughs> because of you. That's you that did that. So shame on you. My aunt, hold on, this one's an even better story. Well, it's not a better story because it's sad. My aunt had a brother who passed away. Uh So then they took his old birth certificate and just erased his information and put her information when she was born. But they didn't change the gender. So she was a a boy on her birth certificate. What? And then she came to this country and they were like, you're or I think because you have to like it's mandatory military service at 18 in Turkey. And so they were like, you have to serve in the military. And she's like, I'm a woman. And they're like, your birth certificate says you're a, a guy. And she's like, that's a mistake. I'm, I'm a woman. What this isn't. Wait a minute. What year are we talking about here? You're not talking about you're not talking about this didn't happen in the 19th century. Right. This happened in the modern era. Yes. Is that right? So my aunt is a much older woman. She's in her 80s. You mean he's in her 80s? Yeah. Come let's get the on. let's get the pronouns straight here. They all came to this world. They made a much better life for themselves in this country. And, you know, first of all, we've all had amazing uh, people. Yes, it's amazing people. And you know that I've been to Armenia with you. I think the Armenian people are uh, a beautiful, resilient people. And I have I'm great so respect nervous. for their culture. You shouldn't uh-huh. be nervous. Those things I'm are all true. So and then nervous. you come with these stories about a man on a donkey with a burlap sack and there's a bunch on. of passports. You're the one that said that. I didn't say that. You, you say that I floated to this country in a basket. Because my dad survived a goat attack. You did that. That's a joke I made 10 years ago uh, that just happened to find its way into a major cover story on me in Rolling Stone magazine. (laughs) God knows. These are the things that happen when you're at my level and things are happening fast and furious. Occasionally you say that you're, you know, and, and look, we're living in an era of alternate truths, all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. So maybe my idea of how you came to this country 
is just as legitimate as your what, your idea. Who's to say what's the real idea? You know, uh, reality it actually is. I Who's think to I, say what that is, man? Hey, it's four twenty. Let's blaze up. <laughs> what? No, what are maybe, you talking about? Maybe we're in the cages and the animals are looking at us, dude. Oh um, my God. So my point is, that's an incredible story. I identify with your dad. I feel for him. I was listed. My gender was on my passport was indeterminate uh, because of <laughs> still forming. Well, to be honest, to be fair, when I got my passport, which is later in life, it I was a, 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 a it was slow. I was a slow bloomer. Everything worked out. But for the first 18, 19 years of my life, it was still forming it. <laughs> what? It was still forming. The the prehensile the the primitive penis that I was born with. Oh uh, God! Oh. Uh, but you know what? Thank God for those surgeries. Uh, doc, hey, and a shout out to Doctor Boutman. We, to, you know, that was uh, nine surgeries, but we figured it out. Um, just foolishness. Just random foolishness. I just trying to take the attention off of, I can't believe your dad has two birthdays, but you know what he does and came from a, a village that has two names and probably no one can agree on what names. One is the Armenian name. And the other one, if you look up Sivas, that's what you'll see from like an, an English speaking map. But the only question that I have for you, you say like, well, we don't know when my dad was born because the passport man wasn't there. You'd think someone would have written down on something Hey, Gil was born today. And then the passport people may get it wrong, but they can still know, yeah, it was November 8th. Remember? That was the day Gil was born. Well, my dad was one of six. I can't relate to that. At one point, they're just like, ah, it's another one. Yeah. Like, whatever. There's another one here. And then they, Trust you me, know. I know that's feeling. <laughs> I was meeting siblings in the bathroom in eighth grade. <laughs> That I hadn't met before. It's like if you serve on an aircraft carrier in the Gulf, you sometimes don't meet other, you never meet the other person on the ship. You can, and and that's what it was like in my family. My sister Jane, we met when she was 14 and I was 18 and she's lovely. I love Jane. I just didn't, we're rattling around. There's a lot going on. Potatoes are flying. I didn't know. <laughs> A quick handshake, a hello. She seemed lovely. Haven't seen her since. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot going on. Oh, this man. reminds me of my favorite story about my mom. <laughs> there was a lot of chaos growing up just because, you know, my mom was working. My dad's working. Uh, There's a bunch of kids. And my mother is a very proud person. And I remembered her once telling me, I'm going to tell you something. I worked very hard to teach each one of you, everything you need to know in life. I taught both your sisters. I taught them how to sew, how to cook, how to clean, how to do all the things they'll need to know. And I said to her, Mom, I honestly don't remember you teaching them any of that. And she went, because there wasn't time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what, well, which is it? <laughs> she went on this whole thing, like, I worked so hard, I taught them everything. I don't think it, there wasn't time. <laughs> that is the perfect Irish Conan O'Brien story because it mixes grandiosity with, <laughs> with defensiveness. Yep. <laughs> Mom, I love you. You know that, but you taught us nothing. Did you, um, did you introduce Matt? Oh, it's okay. They get it by now. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a slow day. Anyway, you know what? I actually think I took a Tylenol today, but I think I took a Tylenol PM. So I, 
I think yeah. I'm I think I'm asleep. You didn't really pipe up much. And I noticed in no. the interview, I didn't hear you at all. So I think and at one point I looked over because we're on Zoom. You were wearing a Dickensian nightcap. <laughs> Do you know, because you've mentioned that twice on this podcast, my wife got me one for Christmas. Great. I love that. Put it on. It's it's packed away with the Christmas stuff, but it's red plaid. You know, have you ever in the night heard a sound and you're wearing your nightcap and you light a small candle, a nub of a candle, and it's got a little holder, and you go down and you and and you see a little mouse in the corner of the kitchen, and you guys share a wink. Has that ever happened? I'm wearing just a nightgown, and my knees start knocking. <laughs> All right. Well, I am very excited. Today, my guest is one of the most accomplished voices in rock. He is the lead singer and guitarist for the 11-time Grammy Award-winning band Foo Fighters. Their 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight, is now available, and it's fantastic. I'm honored to talk to this gentleman today. I'm stunned by what this guy has accomplished in his career. Dave Grohl, welcome. Okay, Dave, what's the conflict? I think we could be great friends. I see no barrier. Actually, there, there is no conflict because we do have a mutual friend in our tour manager, Gus Brandt, who <laughs> I knew was this would once come up. your tour manager as well. Yes. Uh, 10 years ago, I had a tour manager, Gus Brandt, and Gus's claim to fame, he made it very clear early on, was that he was also a Foo Fighters tour manager. He would throw that at me constantly. So we had these big shows in big venues, not by your standards, Dave, but by my standards, these were massive venues, big crowds, big finales, encores, hard rock ending, and crowds going crazy. And every night I would go up to Gus, and this was our running joke, and say, huh, Grohl? Can Grohl top that? <laughs> you, think, you think Grohl can top that? And, 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 and every night, Brant would be like, oh, yeah. No, no, they, they get that every night, and more so. And I'd be like, yeah, well, we'll see about tomorrow night. We'll see tomorrow night. And then we'd have a, you know, if we had a particularly big show, I'd be like, Grohl? Does Grohl do that? And he'd go like, yeah, yeah, they do that every single night. And it's much bigger and better than what you're doing. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that's true. That's not true. Come on, Carl. Oh, no, it was, it was fun. It was really, it was a fun running journey joke uh, that uh, to this day, if I see him, he knows that within 10 minutes, because we still see each other, I will bring up uh, how I am your nemesis. I gave you a run for your money and <laughs> that you were sweating me the whole time we were out on the road. <laughs> always watching, <laughs> always watching. Always watching. Somewhere a girl is sweating because O'Brien's out there playing his three chord rock. Now, was this, hold on, was this your first tour? Was this the first time you ever toured? It was the first, it was the, uh, yeah, it was the first time and I remembered Gus one time, I was kidding, and Gus thought I was serious, but I told Gus that I wanted, I need, I said, I need drugs and uh, women. You've got to bring them to me. And, and Gus was like, I don't do that. I don't do drugs or women. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't get drugs or women for people that I, that I manage. Well, okay, so here's the thing. You're lucky that he didn't bring you either of those things because whatever you request from Gus, he not only gets it for you, he'll bring a map. Here's an example. There was once when we were in Australia, this is 10 mm -hmm. years ago, and we were on our way to the gig and we pass a Kentucky fried chicken, right? I hadn't had a bucket of KFC since I was like nine at soccer practice. <laughs> like it'd been so long. I love fried chicken. So I look at him and I say, hey Goose, is there any way that we could uh, 
get a bucket of chicken for after the show? He's like, yeah, sure. What do you want? You want uh, original recipe? I'm like, just get original recipe. <laughs> so after the show, <laughs> we rock the place original. for two and a half hours. And I'm walking off stage. I got a towel around my neck. And I could smell that stuff from 100 yards away. Like, I could smell it coming down the hall. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, KFC, this is amazing. And I walk in, and I plop down in a chair. I'm in my sweaty clothes, and there's the bucket. I rip open the bucket, and I mean, I just sweat like five pounds out on stage for two and a half hours. So I just want salt. So I'm picking up pieces of chicken, and I'm eating it like a raccoon in a dumpster. I'm just like, <laughs> and, there's, and there's nothing to drink. And I'm like, ooh. And I look, and to my left was a bottle of champagne in a bucket of ice. And so I just pop the champagne and I start drinking it. And then I take a bite of chicken. And then I t- have some champagne. And then I take the bite. And I look at everyone like, you guys, you have to try this. This is amazing. <laughs> so then within two minutes, everyone's got a piece of chicken and a glass of champagne. And it became our thing. I could go into a long description of like the juxtaposition and mouthfeel of what I was experiencing. Of course. course. It's fantastic. I can imagine that tang, that almost tart tang of a really good champagne. Yes. Yes. It was amazing. So we started doing it every night. And within (laughs) three weeks, I was like trying to go to sleep in my hotel. My heart's just like, and then I I thought, you know, we should cool it with it. But that's the best thing when when we would go on like these fancy planes, uh, private planes to go to a show. They would uh, would always ask like, "Um, catering would like to know what uh, you'd like for lunch. And we're like, yeah, we we need some KFC and shit. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. Does it have to be a good champagne or can be a kind of a low rent champagne? I mean, I, you know, we usually go with Vuve. Oh, and actually, I'll, be, I'll listen to this. There was once on tour when we were in Paris and we had a day off. So I ride motorcycles. Me and a couple people rented motorcycles. We decided to go to the Champagne region just uh, outside of Paris. And someone, the guy at the Harley dealership knew the people at the Moet Chandon estate. He's like, oh, I'll get you a tour. So we ride up there, we're like zipping through traffic and we go. We get there, we get this amazing tour of the Moet Chandon uh, estate. And uh, like Winston Churchill stayed in this room and here's the caves and like there's these bottles are 200 years old, bottles from World War II and stuff. And then at the end of the tour, we wind up in this garden for a tasting. And there's this guy in a tuxedo with white gloves. And it's like me and our keyboard player. You know, it's like, it's not, they're not entertaining royalty. We're just like, Ugh. and we just got off of Harley <laughs> Davidson. So the guy like pops a bottle of the of rosé champagne and he says, he goes, this is good with salmon and fish. And, you know, and so we take it, we're just like, <laughs> we drink it. Then he like pours another one and we're like, <laughs> and he goes, he, he opens another bottle. And he goes, this is good with this pasta and scallops and things. And I said, I said, excuse me, you know what's really good with champagne? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what? And I was like, fried chicken, man. He was like, fried chicken. Like he couldn't get it. I kill you. I kill you, Dave Grohl. You insult me. That is fantastic. I absolutely love that. Brings the bucket. Uh, Gus Brandt. And Gus Brandt, by the way, one of the biggest fights I've had in my show business career, practically a screaming match, was we're playing some really big venue. And it's like, uh, and they're playing up my my music that I come out to. I'm ready to go on. And we're chatting backstage. And he's a comic book fan. And he mentioned something about the Hulk. And he goes, yeah, you know, Dave Banner becomes the Hulk. And I'm literally headed out on stage. And I turn around and I said, 
Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk. And he was like, and he's like, no, no, no. He said, O'Brien, I know you think you're smart, but it's Dave Banner. And I was like, no, no, no. And they're saying, Conan, you gotta go. They've like, they're introducing you. And I'm like, no, fuck you. It's Bruce Banner. And we start screaming at each other. (laughs) I am very delighted to speak to you. This is one of my most memorable experiences. And I've had many in almost 30 years of doing television. You came on the show. You were gonna play, I think one, maybe two songs. You played an entire long set for our live audience that no one ever saw. It was just for them. And I thought this is what differentiates, and I'll put you in their category. This is what differentiates a a Springsteen from other people. This is what differentiates uh, the greats is they, they want that pure copper to copper connection with an audience. And I could see it didn't matter to you if it was going out on television or not. You wanted to make those people see the best fucking thing they've ever seen in a studio audience. And they did. And it was a beautiful thing to see. I mean, we actually like doing this. Like we, we do. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if people are watching. We still enjoy it. You know, we rehearsed at our own studio and most rehearsals are just spent everyone just like talking shit and making each other laugh the whole the entire. It was like, oh, wait, we, we need to play Everlong. And then we play Everlong, get that over with. And then we talk for like 15, 20 minutes. Oh, wait, we need to play Bestie. Then we play Bestie, things like that. But we really do. I mean, there are times when I'm worried that we're too into it. You know, we're <laughs> like, we're three hours in to a stadium show I'm watching these people that have been standing there crushed against the barrier, just waiting forever long. I'm like, okay, we'll get there, but I don't want to watch. Like, I don't get warmed up until like two hours into the show. So there are times where I walk off the stage. I'm like, damn, man, I want to do that again. We love doing what we do. You know, I've been do. I started touring when I was 18 years old. So I've been touring for 34 years. So when everything shut down last March, I kind of freaked out. I mean, right out of the gate. I'm like, oh yeah. my God, I have to learn how to make lasagna. Like, what am I going to do? But one of, the, one of the first things I see, <laughs> Dave Grohl's three-hour lasagna. <laughs> Three and a half month lasagna. Uh, so I don't need, I don't necessarily need some sort of like tangible face-to-face uh, audience, like a connection like that. I just need to know that every day I'm waking up and making someone feel happiness or joy and my kids are like daddy will you call your booking agent and have him get you on the road like you know why are your children very old men (laughs) Uh. yeah maybe that's not what they sound like they're like daddy get me on the road (laughs) father you will go on the road i mean i have people coming up to me strangers will come up and they'll say um hey dave when are we going to have concerts again like I'm the CEO of Live Nation. I'm just like, uh, I'm not. Well, as you know, as soon as they they send me the ticket, I'll get on the plane and come play. But, I, you know, nobody yeah. really has that answer. But I wrote this article for The Atlantic mm-hmm. uh, last year, probably in April. Uh, it was called The Return the return of live music. And it was not so much just about, like, the logistics of when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen – but more why it will happen. Because as human beings, we need to experience that communal musical connection so that we, we, we remind ourselves that we're not alone. And so when we go out and play these shows uh, for big audiences, you know, and I'll play a song like My Hero, 
everyone's singing along to My Hero. But when it when they all come together in that chorus, that's something that doesn't just happen in life. You know, yeah. and it's it's incredibly powerful, it's really moving, and ultimately it's reassuring because you realize like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm a hopeful person. I'm I would consider myself an optimist. So even um in the most difficult times, I, I don't let the light at the end of the tunnel go out. I cannot imagine never getting on a stage again. I just can't imagine it. For me personally, I've always looked at you as someone who what appeared to most of us is that you were a drummer who then magically revealed all these other skills, but that is not the case. You were always this person. Even as a young kid, you were someone who was making you know, tape loops and different songs and playing different instruments on cassettes. Yeah. This was part of you all along. It didn't look that way to the rest of us. We just knew you as the iconic drummer from one of the most iconic bands of all time. Well, you know, it's funny, the way I play and the way I write, I look at the strings on a guitar as pieces of a drum set. So I look at the low E string almost as a kick drum. And then I look at the the A and the D string as uh, like a snare. And then yeah. the high strings, I'll, I'll like make chords. First of all, I can't read music and I, I don't really know what I'm doing and I don't know the names of the chords I'm playing and stuff like that. But I do know that... A song Everlong is a good example. That song, the riff that do do dan 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 dan, that's right. basically a kick snare pattern. It's almost like yes. a paradiddle, right? The way it's drummed, and then in the chorus, when everything starts ringing out, I let all the high strings sort of uh, ring or chime, and those become my symbols. So it's like you can you could build the dynamic of a song with a guitar the same way you would with a drum set. But I started playing guitar for I've. I'd, I'd fell into drumming because I was in a punk rock band and, um, the drummer wasn't good. And so I, I basically said like, um, I have an idea. What if you, why don't you play bass and I'll play the drums? Because I'd already like figured it out in my head. I just didn't have a drum set. And then once I started doing that, I just stuck with the drums until the Foo Fighters. Well, it's so interesting because the whole time that you're in, Nirvana, you possess these other abilities, but you kind of kept it to yourself. Is that is that true? Yeah. I mean, you know the famous drummer joke. What was the last thing the drummer said before he got kicked out of the band? Hey, guys, I got a song I think we should play. Like, that's just not... <laughs> you know, and, and listen, I mean, I, I got to be Kurt Cobain's drummer, you know? Yeah. And so when Kurt comes in with Kurt songs... You don't bring out any of the Dave demos, you know. It's like you're like, <laughs> I think we're good. I th I think we've got this, you know. Teen Spirit's pretty cool. I I'm gonna forget about that thing I wrote in my basement yesterday, you know. So, as a drummer, what an awesome band to be a drummer for. You know, Scotty's cares about the environment and has strong values they stand behind. Plus. Scotty's facial tissues are super soft, strong and absorbent, and easy on the wallet. Whether you've got allergies or just a case of the sniffles, stock up on Scotty's facial tissues so you can stop wiping your nose on your sleeve. Isn't that disgusting when people do that, Sona? I just don't like that. No, I don't like it either. I like I like to wipe my nose on your sleeve, oh, but that's... not my sleeve. Yeah. Well, my sleeve is made of Scotty's tissues, so that's a... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. That's a very cool fashion statement. <laughs> 
Hey, and stop offering guests toilet paper to blow their nose into. That's disgusting. Hand them a Scotty's facial tissue instead. You can find Scotty's facial tissues that come in beautiful box designs. Put one in every room. Why not make your guest feel like a king or queen? Hmm. If someone offers me a tissue, sometimes people say to me, Conan, would you like a tissue? I say, is it Scotty's? And if it's not, I just swat it away. Oh, okay. Scotty's is better at what counts. For more information, visit scottysfacial.com. You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Okay. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not, that's more people than are on earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. (laughs) (laughs) That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Nirvana was such an amazing band to be a drummer because it was basically like 
I looked at it like I get to be in ACDC and a disco drummer all at the same time and just pound the fuck out of my drums as hard as I can. And I was inspired by the band, inspired by the music. And it was, it was awesome. It was so cool. And then I would go back to my home and I had like an eight track studio and I would just like record stuff for fun. You know, it really was just an experiment for myself. Out of Seattle, of all places. My wife is, I married into Seattle. My wife's from Seattle. and But out of Seattle, of all places, comes completely unexpectedly the way no one expected the big British band to be from Liverpool. That was the last place in the world that anyone thought. No one thought a Northern band was going to come into London and sure. kick ass and take over the world. But in that way, I think you guys, uh, you were the exact right band at the exact right time. And that very rarely happens. Almost more than... Um anything musical, those little revolutions happen. They start at an, in an emotional place. Right. So mm-hmm. of course we loved like turning shit up and like banging the fuck out of the drums and smashing the guitars and stuff. And whoopee, it's fun. And people stage diving and stuff like that. But there was some, for whatever reason at the time, people needed to feel that, that generation needed to feel that. I mean, it's not unlike what happened when Billie Eilish became hugely popular. You yeah. know, that was like, of course, she's an amazing singer and she, she's, she makes brilliant songs, but there's the connection to the audience that has, it has to do with identity, right? Mm-hmm. So I have three daughters and my daughters love Billie Eilish. I took them to a Billie Eilish show at the Wiltern in Los Angeles before Billie like really blew up huge. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I'm looking around and honestly, before any music was played i'm like whoa this looks like a nirvana show in 1991 it's like these are the same type of people it's different different time different uh different instruments whatever but i'm looking around and i'm like that's that's how these revolutions start you know they don't start with like the kick and the snare they start with that emotional connection to the identity of the artist and 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 that resonates and then it becomes like this revolution but yeah i mean at the time you have to remember too like did we think about it that's this much then Absolutely not. It was, we were kids, you know, we're 21, 22 years old. Looking back on it now and being a father and watching my kids go through these revolutions with like Billie Eilish and stuff like that, it makes sense to me. It, it does. Like now it does make sense because also you, you have to remember like, what was the, what was the top 10 at the time? I mean, it was Wilson fucking Phillips. You know what I mean? Like that, that (laughs) was, that was music. And then, so we were, I mean, we didn't expect we were going to like edge in on the top five of, you know, we just thought like, all right, let's go break stuff for a while. And then um, I think, <laughs> I think people needed that. And yes, that was the correction that needed to happen. I Famously, you guys knocked uh, Michael Jackson off the top and that was just, wait a minute, who are these guys? I remember it as sort of a guitar nerd looking at Kurt's guitar and thinking, what the fuck is that? Like, you know what I mean? Like he was, and and I think in the same way, I mean, in the same way that bands like The Clash or The Sex Pistols, I mean, you can listen to that. I don't read a note of music uh, either, but I know what moves me and I can still listen to, you know, never mind the bollocks. uh, I can still listen to God Save the Queen and a snob would say, as they did in 1976, 77, these guys can't play. And you'd think, oh, no, 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 they, they're playing exactly what they need to play. And they're playing it with an intensity and an emotion that defies anything else that Yes is doing. 
you know, yeah. or whatever, ba- or air supply or whatever you want to come up yeah, with, you absolutely. know. absolutely. So when I was a kid, like I had Kiss posters, I had Rush records and I loved the Beatles and stuff like that, but I had never seen a rock concert. And we used to go, my family, I grew up outside of DC in Virginia. We would take these family trips and my mom's Ford Fiesta. We would drive up to Youngstown, Ohio and visit our grandparents there. And then we would drive from there up to Chicago because my mother's best friend lived in Evanston. So this one year, we would go every year. This one year we go up and uh, my aunt Sherry, she's like, Tracy, cousin Tracy, Tracy, they're here. Tracy's maybe like a year older than me or something, two years older than me. And I could hear her coming down the stairs like, kush, 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 kush. and I look up and she's a punk rocker. Right. I think I was, I think I was 13 years old. I had these like engineer boots and like bondage mm-hmm. pants. It was like chains swinging and like, <laughs> coming down the steps. And I'm just like, I had only seen that on like chips or Quincy. And this is my cousin Tracy. And I'm just like, oh my God. She's like shaved her head. And, uh, I mean, I was, I get the chills still thinking about it. I was like, Amazon that's, guy. Hold on. That's your cousin. <laughs> Mad at you that you mentioned her. Okay, can you just drop it in the gate? <laughs> See, we're all dealing with Amazon right now. I love Sorry, this. Sorry, guys. I love She's this. Weak. Now, wait a minute. What is that? That was an Am- We're going to use this. That was Amazon? No, FedEx. Oh. Okay, anyway. Right. So, goosh, goosh, goosh down the stairs. <laughs> I see her. I'm like, <gasps> and, uh. Of course, it's Tracy. She's my cousin. I love her. She's great. It's like, oh, hi, how are you? I mean, she didn't like spit in my face and punch me. It was like, (laughs) hi. That night, she was going to see this punk rock band called Naked Ray Gun. They were playing at a bar across the street from Wrigley Field. This place is called the Cubby Bear. And I mean, it's like a Chicago corner bar. And I had already started playing guitar at this point. And I think my aunt Sherry was like, Tracy, will you please take David to the punk rock show? I mean, I looked like... What's his face from 16 Candles? Michael, what is that? I was such a Anthony nerd. Michael Hall. Yes, yeah. that was me. Yeah. I was like, this is a punk rock show. Can I come too? You know, I was such. Let a, me get my respirator. Such a dork. So she's like, oh God, okay. So we go to this corner bar and like, I'm terrified. We take the L train downtown, whatever. I'm so scared because I've only seen this on Quincy and Chips and on those shows, the punk rockers are the bad guys, right? I mean, yes. they're the guys that like, Burn down houses and start riots and stuff. There's a famous episode of Quincy. And if you don't know what Quincy is, go look it up on YouTube. But he's a coroner and it was a, he was out to solve crimes. And there's a famous episode where the bad guys are this, what are they? They're like a, they're a band of was slam it, dancers. Okay, I can't remember if it was Chips or Quincy. There's a band called Pain. I remember I think the song it's Quincy. Was like, I need pain. In my brain. The crazy thing, just so you know, the crazy thing, our guitar player, Pat Smear. Yeah, yeah. Is in those episodes. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He was a punk rock no, he's extra. Not. There was a there was a lady that would go round up punk rock. Pat Smear also was uh was with you uh in Nirvana. In Nirvana. And he's from yeah. the legendary punk rock band, The Germs. Anyway, we got off on a side thing, but please look that up because that's how what people thought about punk music in 1977. Anyway, exactly. continue. So we walk into this club and it's like mohawks and spikes, leather and denim. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is awesome. I'm just like, this is the most amazing. <laughs> and then this band goes on. And, you know, I'd only seen rock concert stuff 
like on television, right? There's like right. pyrotechnics and lasers and dragons and shit. And that, like that to me was like, oh, a concert. So now I'm in this place. It smells like bleach and puke and there's broken glass everywhere. And this band, Naked Reagan, goes on and it's like one, two, three, four, like right in my face. I mean, the singer was like three feet from me. People are stage diving all over me and stuff. That was my introduction to live music. And to this day, even if we're playing Wembley fucking stadium, I try as hard as I can to summon that same energy that Naked Ray Gun had on stage that day. It changed my life forever. I mean, like, honestly, that was... That was like, take me to the river. That was like baptism by barf and mohawks. You know, I was just like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I will never forget it. And I, right then, and, and one of the great things about it, like you said, is that it seemed available to me. It's like, right. I wasn't going to become Eddie Van Halen. You know, I wasn't going to become Freddie Mercury. But I knew three chords and I could scream my fucking balls off. So guess what? I'm starting a band because evidently that's all you have to do. So it was, I was incredibly inspired. Like that was the first day of the rest of my life. This must get otherworldly for you. I'm a Beatles fanatic and uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting Sir Paul McCartney uh, on a handful of occasions, but you have worked with the guy. Now here's someone who, when you look at what he's experienced and what he's achieved, the age he's at now, there are people that say, well, you don't have to go out there anymore. And it's clear he's doing it because he needs it. He loves it. You have that same thing, I think, McCartney has, which is you, I think when you're 90, you're going to want to be doing this if you can physically do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, so that experience that I just explained to you, how that changed my life. I'm sure Paul had that same experience when he saw Little Richard on the BBC or he saw Elvis on the BBC. Like everyone has that, just as everyone has their Beatles moment, you know, I'm sure that he had the same moment with someone else. And so um, that becomes this, uh, you know, this foundation that everything is built upon for the rest of your life. So like if you, the, the, the few times that I've jammed with Paul, it's like, he doesn't just pick up a bass and go, all right, where do you want to just, yeah, listen to He's like, he puts on the bass. He's like, all right, let's get it. And he'll like count in without even telling you what the song is. One, two, three. And you just go. Like there was once where I played with him on the Grammys. He was, we played, I saw her standing there. So I was playing drums and oh my God, I was so terrified. And that was the first time I jammed with him, I think. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm going to jam with Paul McCartney. And we get to the rehearsal space and I know his band and they're amazing. They're all the sweetest guys in the world and they're great. But we were only going to play one song. So like, what did we just rehearse one song? You know, he comes in, he's like, oh my God, that's all right. And I was like, hey, Paul. And, and he puts on, uh, I think he put on a guitar first, maybe. And he just turned to the guys. He's like, ready? In A. One, two, three, four. And I'm just like, like, I had no idea. I didn't even know the song. I'd never heard it before. I was just doing this and everyone's like bopping around. Like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah. Then we did like some other thing. He was just trying to warm up. Then we did, I saw her standing there. Oh, Jesus. Which is the most iconic count in. I think of all time. Yeah. You know, I saw her standing there on the track. It's one of the most iconic. Oh, one, two, three, five. Yeah, exactly. So we do that. And then it's like, all right, cool. Well, let's uh, take a break. So we take a break. He's like, you want to try the song again? We're like, all right. And we do it again. And it sounds great. He's like, cool. Um, If everybody's good, Dave, are you good? And I'm like, could we play Let Me Roll It 
really quick. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, sure. You guys. And everyone's like, yeah. So we play, let me roll it. He's like, okay, you feel good. I'm like, can we do back in the USSR really quick? <laughs> <laughs> he, was like, he was like, yeah, sure. I mean, it got to the point where he was like, Dave, like, are you done? And I'm like, no, but we can go home. I want to do this for the rest of my life. It was amazing. But the thing that, that that's most, in, the thing that inspires me the most about him is when he does put on an instrument, like he played drums on our last record. I know. It's he played crazy. Drums for, he played drums for you. And I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, you've got to step outside your body and look at yourself in that moment and say, I got Paul McCartney to play drums <laughs> for me. That's, that's, uh, you gotta have moments like that where you just say, okay. All the time. That's it. That's it. That rings the bell. Well, I'd like to, I mean, I honestly, I've been, I wrote about this recently. You know, you always hear about your life flashing before your eyes on your deathbed, just before you die. And there's some moments in life that you think, oh, I'm going to see that one. Like it could be a beautiful thing to your child sitting in your lap as the sun goes down, uh, you know, getting to meet your idol or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you think oh, that's, I'm, I'm going to see that one. That's what's going to flash before my eyes. Right. I feel like that every fucking day. Every fucking day, I'm like, I wonder if I'll see this before. So it's almost like my life is flashing before my eyes as it's happening all the time. Right. I'm just like collecting these moments where we're like, I can't fucking believe that just happened. I can't fucking believe this is real. I, 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 and you know, and of course I'm very grateful. Like I just, mm -hmm. I can't, it's fucking crazy. I think if your life is constantly flashing before your eyes, Dave, it means that you're constantly dying. <laughs> Maybe that's the that. way to look at it. Maybe I it's all the it. LSD I took in high school. I don't know. <laughs> also, just like to point out, I, I know you mentioned LSD, but Drugs have never been a big thing for you. No. Not you're, you. You were never that interested in it. No. Your drug of your drug of choice is probably caffeine more than anything else. Absolutely, dude. I had to go to the hospital once for drinking too much coffee. There was a time what? where I was really yes. I was. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> I hate to tell you, that's so embarrassing for a rock star. And everyone's like gathered around. What happened? Well, he has three lattes. <laughs> it's, it was. It was. A, it was a very busy uh, month. And so yeah, uh -huh. I had just had a, another child. I was doing a Foo Fighters record. I was working with uh, this other band, uh, Them Crooked Vultures, that I was playing with. And so I was mm -hmm. like, I'd wake up in the morning after two hours of sleep, and I'd drink a pot of coffee. And then I'd go to the first studio, drink a pot of coffee. Then I'd probably drink another pot of coffee. Then I'd go back to the next studio, and I'd drink a pot of coffee. And then I'd come home, and I'd be like, God, why can't I sleep? And I was like, oh, right. I had eight pots of coffee today. And it was like mm -hmm. that. For two weeks. And then finally I was like, <gasps> and I got the chest pains. I'm like, oh my God. And, oh, and actually it was right. We were about to go play the White House. Uh, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was. Is it possible? Is it possible that subconsciously that was playing a part in your heart attack? Well, it could have been, but I thought like, okay. So of course, what do I do? I Google chest pains, like chest pains, what to do. And, and I'm putting like Excedrin in my wallet just in case. And I'm, you know, but I, I thought, um, I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to call my doctor because he's going to say 
don't go to the White House. I really wanted to go to the White House. It was like Obama's first Fourth of July party, and we were playing in the backyard. I was like, I'm not not going to this gig. Right. So I'm like, I'm, I'm think I'm going to die. But I thought like, okay, well, there's got to be a good doctor at the White House. Come on, like if if I were to like <laughs> drop dead having a heart attack right there, I'm pretty sure someone would be on me and like they, they 10 have seconds. very they have very good equipment. That, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. So anyway, so I come back from that trip, and I finally call my doctor. I'm like. Mel, I'm having chest pains. He's like, you are? I said, yeah. He goes, are you having them now? I go, yes. He goes, get in here. So I go down there. And he's got me the EKG and I'm on the treadmill and it's like sonograms and all this crap. And he's like, well, I don't really see anything wrong, but just to be safe, go to Cedars and get like a CAT scan or something. I was like, all right. So I go to get this CAT scan. I come out of the CAT scan and they're like, the doctor will be with you in a moment. And there's this readout screen. The guy comes in. He's like, hi, my name is Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And he takes one look and he goes, how old are you? I was 40 at the time. I said, I'm 40. He goes, okay, why are you here? And so I was like, I'm having chest pains. I'm going to fucking die, man. Like, what's going on? He's like, your heart's fine. Everything's fine. Um, are you under any stress? I was like, yeah, a little bit. He goes, uh, do you get enough sleep? I'm like, no, I sleep like two hours a night. He's like, oh, okay. He goes, do you drink coffee? I was like, dude. You have no fucking idea. Like, <laughs> I am like the Tony Montagna of Folgers in a tin. I'm just like ridiculous amounts of And he goes, okay, here's what you need to do. He goes, first of all, decaffeinate. I was like, yes, sir. There's absolutely no way. <laughs> then he's, he said, uh, you know, uh, just play drums three or four times a week and have a glass of red wine before bed. Favorite fucking doctor of all time. I was like, what a great doctor. Right. I mean, what the cat scan cost $47,000, but I got, <laughs> right. at least he told me I could go home and get hammered, which I did. It'd be great if that was his advice, even to alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. Just have some red wine and go to bed. Are you sure? I said, I, I tell you, <laughs> but I was never like, I was never into the drug thing when I was young. Like I'd smoked weed and I took mushrooms. I took acid and stuff like that, but I was done with it by the time I was, 19 something like that right so when i went up to when i lived in seattle i just i had nothing to do with any of that and recently within the last few years i tried smoking pot again i'm like man i used to be so good at it you know i was such a fun <laughs> pothead it was like that was fun and now every time i do it i just wind up on youtube watching like miles davis interviews for four hours i'm like this is bad for my life i don't know this yeah. is just bad <laughs> Check out that Quincy again the next time that you're <laughs> you can't sleep. Check out that Quincy episode. Yeah, what is your when before you go on stage? What's your everyone's got I, I don't know why, because I'm a comedian. I do all these stretches and and I've had people make fun of me backstage. Sony, you've seen me backstage. I'm constantly stretching. Yeah. And I and stretching. that's just and that's just to talk. <laughs> and I'm stretching and people will be like, what the fuck are you stretching for? You're not going to run a marathon. You're going to go out there and be a wise ass. And I'll be like, I don't know. I don't know. This is just what I do. I don't do vocal warmups. Clearly. I don't do tea. I don't need space. I don't have a steamer. And basically I open up the dressing room to as many friends as can fit in the dressing room. I have a Coors Light and a shot of Crown Royal. I've probably taken some Advil at this point because I'm an old man and it hurts to run around. And now I'm, I'm, I'm delivering shots to everyone in the room, but you got to do a shot with everyone you give them. So now it's like Coors Light in, there's a shot of whiskey. All right. Now I have two shots of whiskey. Beer's gone. Now I'm on the second beer and on my third shot of Crown. Gus Brandt is like, 20 minutes, 
and and we're all laughing. Now, this is the most important thing to me before walking on stage. Even if Gus says, you ready to go? Come on, they're waiting for you. I will not walk on stage until everyone in the band is laughing hysterically. Oh, like great. we walk on stage smiling. It's tr- it just happens. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's not something we have to force, first of all, but it's like, if I've had three Coors Lights, three Crown Royals, and Pat Smear just said something that almost made me piss my pants, house lights, let's hit the stage. Like, let's go. And then the next two and a half hours is like, it's a dream. It's great. But I don't do, you know, we used to call it band prayer. Band prayer, because, you know, some people are like, dear God, please give me the strength to rock this house tonight. And you're like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, whatever. I'm not. I'm not a religious person, but I do find yeah. that to be kind of funny. Like you could ask God for anything, like <laughs> hunger, world peace, like the, the the pandemic. Instead, there's someone like God. Give me the strength to pop some of that booty tonight. I want to hear booties clapping. Like, that kind of thing. Where I'm just like, okay. So we call the crown royal in the shot. It's like that's band prayer. <laughs> I love that those same people, it's like, I think it's in uh, Madonna's Truth or Dare movie where there's a lot of like gathering around and give us the strength tonight to get through this show where I pretend to masturbate on a four poster bed and, <laughs> and sing sing a song, uh, whatever. I, and I always thought this whole idea, it's exactly what you're saying, that there could be a tsunami headed towards Indonesia. And they're like, should God stop the tsunami or... Should he help you rock tonight? <laughs> I, 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 I think it's more rock. I think is more important. Yeah, I, I, I get it. And of course, um, you know, it's not my thing. I understand why people do it. But now, I mean, it's I don't there's I, I like to make everything seem as informal as possible at all times. KFC yeah. on the G5 band prayers, of course, light with a little bit of crown royal. It's like things like that. You don't, don't go on stage until you guys feel like you're, you know, having your own little six person cake party. That's kind of the way I like to to do shit with the Foo Fighters. I do have to ask you, uh, it's this is very indulgent of me, but as a guitar geek, I know that you have reached the highest height of all heights when you have your own signature guitar. There's a Dave Grohl. It's like a Trini Lopez, right? It's a Trini, yeah. It's basically a dumbed down Trini. Comedians don't get their own signature line of guitars, but I never cared what a guitar sounded like. I cared what it looked like. (laughs) Pat Smear, our guitar player, used Uh to go guitar shopping with a Polaroid. And he would walk into a guitar store with his girlfriend and he'd pick a guitar up off the wall and he'd go... All right, take a picture. And to go, it wouldn't even plug it in. Take a picture. And then he'd like sit there, like shaking the Polaroid, and he'd look at it like, nope, I don't like it. And then he'd go to another guitar <laughs> and go, and he would sit there like, mm, nah, doesn't fit. Mm, ooh, I like this. You know, it was like he was buying shoes or something like yes, that. Yes, that's how I've always felt about yes. it. That is how I've always felt about it. Well, uh, you know, God love you. You are the Swiss Army knife of rock. Drummer, guitarist, singer, songwriter, front man. You also have a wine opener that comes out of your side. Uh, I do. Remember file. the toothpick. There's a little toothpick. The little There's a little toothpick. toothpick that comes out of your forehead. And you've got this uh, new album, uh, Medicine at Midnight, which I really love. I really love Waiting on a War. I love that song. And I'm thinking, I don't envy anybody being Dave Grohl's drummer, but You know what? Taylor I'm going to tell you exactly. Taylor Hawkins is absolutely amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's two things. Now, first of all, I have always wanted to be a tap dancer. My entire life. I've always wanted to learn. You're kidding. No, I'm not. That is what I 
studied as a kid. I told my parents, I want to be in show business someday. And I insist on being a tap dancer. And God bless my parents who know nothing about show business. They found me, this guy who had been the protege to Bill Bojangles Robinson, this very old black man in downtown Boston. I was the only white kid that went and saw this guy and he taught me to be a tap dancer. You are a tap dancer. That is my life dream. So I have the shoes, but I haven't taken the lessons. One of these days. Anyway, but there's this overdub that I did where I was like, oh, wait, 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 let me try this. And I go, I go... That's it. That's it. So if you put that thing, that's exactly like on a wood floor, just like. If you put that over the drum beat, that's where you got that weird rolling loop. So there was part of me and Taylor were like, it kind of sounds like tap dancing, sort of. I'm like, let's put some guitars about it. Like, let's let's load it up with guitars and I'll sing about something really depressing. It'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) Freaks me out that you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, obviously, for Nirvana. And now, like, you're eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Foo Fighters in a year, I think, which is insane to me. It's actually this year. Yeah, but I pushed it off till next year. (laughs) Sorry, Dave. It just wasn't good timing for me to watch you get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, But I remember very clearly, I'm sure a lot of your fans don't, but I remember very clearly when you started Foo Fighters that there was almost a hostility towards someone, a member of Nirvana going and starting something else. Oh, that hasn't entirely gone away yet. You know, that's just something that you kind of carry with you, you know? You know, when Nirvana ended, it was like, I didn't, starting this band wasn't so much a musical decision as it was just like a very emotional one feeling like Mm -hmm. in the time between Foo Fighters and Nirvana, I was like, I was pretty lost because I was young. I was 25 and I was getting asked by people, well, Hey, will you, do you want to play drums with us? Do you want to come and join the band? And I was like, just sitting behind a drum set, was just, I was like kind of traumatized. I didn't, it just Mm -hmm. made me sad, you know? And, um, even just listening to music, turning on the radio, it just made me sad. And I eventually realized that like music had been saving my life my whole life. And so now it was going to have to do it again. And when I went and recorded that first record thing, that was more just like some sort of like emotional exercise or some sort of purge or just Mm -hmm. to me, it was all, it was like a continuation of life because I was not ready to stop. And I was not ready to be stuck in that place for the rest of my life. I was not ready to just like hang it up. I'm like, no, 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 no. Music has always represented life to me. I'm going to do this. I don't know like for who or why or for how long, but I just need to to do it. And then when we started the Foo Fighters, it was like, you know, we got in the van, we went around, we opened up for a friend's band, we played in clubs and theaters and stuff. And uh and it reminded me of um it reminded me of of why I why I love life and why I love music. And um so to me our band represents something like Way more than just like t-shirts and downloads and, you know, stuff like that. To me, it really is a group of friends that chose life and a continuation of life. And I still feel that way every day. I think you pulled off a near impossible feat and uh, creating this career, this second career, and then doing so much with it. So, and on top of it all, you're a class act and a uh, a very uh, fine gentleman. So... Just thank you so much. Like today, I was so looking forward to this chance to talk to you today and geek out a little bit that uh, 
I was sort of revving all day long. So thank you. Thank Thanks, you for doing the podcast. Yeah. That means and, a lot. Uh, thank you. And anytime you want a Gretsch, I have like 900. So. <laughs> you know what? How about this? I'll trade. You want to trade a Trini for a Gretsch? Pick a Gretsch. I'll pick a Trini and then we'll do a swap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would do that in a heartbeat. Me too. Uh, but hey, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know you've got packages oh. waiting for you at the door. Amazon and FedEx and I got the cat hotel. It's been a busy day. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. That was super fun. On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone (laughs) cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's (laughs) happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. This is exciting. Uh, because Sona, I think maybe there's something you're okay with talking about on I the am. podcast. You yeah. are. You are. Uh, sure. Would you want to? Uh, all of America is listening, and by that, I literally mean we're 
a very successful podcast. Okay. So in my mind, everyone in America is listening. Why don't you tell us what you have to say? Um, I'm pregnant. Yeah! Hey. Congratulations! <laughs> Yay! Thank you very much. That is so oh exciting. That is so exciting. I know. Thank you. I, I have known I've known for a while, but of course, yes. uh, and I was proud of myself because wow. you, you can't tell people I and and you know what I love? I'm making this about me instantly. <laughs> you were, you know what though? Jesus. You were you were, I think, the first person besides me and Tack to know. Yeah. Uh, because I came to your house to help you with something and you offered me wine. And I said, no, I'm not drinking. And you're like, are you pregnant? <laughs> you just immediately asked me. And yeah. I think we had found out the day before that we were. So, and you know, it was, yeah. you know, it was weird. It was nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I was drinking out of a bottle of wine. I wasn't even pouring it into a glass. And I was like, Sona, have some. And she said, well, I don't think, what are you pregnant? What's the due date? And when is the um, birth certificate man coming around? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's whatever, six months after the, you give birth that they, you have to get the same guy who was four months late for your dad's birth certificate. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to track that guy down and I'm going to fly him to the United States so that he can handle your birth certificate. Well, your- I don't I don't think he came because of my dad. He came to the village and he's like, okay, what babies were born? And then people were like, my baby was born and my baby. You're like, okay, all of you have a February 5th birthday. <laughs> oh my That's how God. they did it. Do you think he did other things too? I get the sense that he, he didn't, he sounds like a guy who came to the village to deliver mail, yeah. give you your birth certificate. He probably had a soft serve machine, you know, <laughs> if anyone wanted ice cream. <laughs> he sounds like a guy who did, a bunch of things. Yeah. Um, well, we are also, uh, we're having twins. Oh my God. I know. Oh, I know. As a tear <laughs> rolls down my That's face. That's four birth certificates. <laughs> <In a, laughs> oh man. Good one. Gorley, you just hit it. That was the natural. You hit it out of the park. It hit the lights and the lights exploded. In I'm going on Tylenol PM every day. Yes. You are so funny when you're jacked on Tylenol PM. Oh, uh, man. So Sona, you're having uh, you're having twins. Uh, twins. Can I ask more questions? Do we know the sex? Yes, uh, oh they're both god. they're both boys. Oh my wow. god! So, oh uh, my god! Yeah. So this my, is so uh, great. It's a lot. It's a lot all at once. Uh, so I know. we'll never we'll never talk to you again in a no. couple of months. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I I don't think you will. I well, I, so I'm due due mid July, but they'll probably come early because twins come early. And uh, yeah, you know, we spend a lot of our time just kind of sitting here in silence, just being like, what did we, what did we do? (laughs) And Tack keeps asking if he has time to do his karate, which he does. Um, Uh, uh, Yes. Well, guess what? Let me, let me explain something to you, Sona. There's a called a hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Priority number one. And priorities. And so what's going to happen is Tack's karate and I promise you this is going to go away. Come on. <laughs> I hope he has a sensei that's going like change diaper and he teaches him wax the fence, but it's baby stuff. Yeah. It's funny if his if his karate style is all based 
Like the way Mr. Miyagi's was on Wax On, Wax Off. It's all based on changing two diapers at once with each hand. And that becomes like the most impossible, fantastic defense attack in karate. Oh my God. This is insane. I'm so happy for you. And for for TAC. Yeah, I know. It's very exciting. Yeah, we wanted it for a while. So this is exciting. It's a lot. I'm thrilled for you guys. uh, Uh, Wow. And of course, uh, I knew about this. And then you- you showed me a video of your mom and your yes. dad being told, and you did a really cute thing. You had your nieces tell her. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, and they're really young. I couldn't believe that they kept the secret. Cause... Yeah, they're seven and five, and uh, they were bursting to tell them. Um, and, you know, my mom has two grand two granddaughters, so she so badly wanted a boy. And then we told them we were having twins, and then we were like, okay, guess the gender. And my mom was just like, boy. Like, she didn't care. <laughs> she willed it into half. And she also, didn't she, I'm going to back Sona way. up. I've seen the video. Your mother does it with no joy. She's like really happy that you're having the baby. She's really happy. And you say, and then you say it's twins. And she's like, oh my God. And she's crying, and she sits down, and she can't stand up. And then you just say, guess the gender. And she just leans forward, and she goes, Boy, like that's, <laughs> I'm not asking, I'm telling you, yeah. it is boy. I don't care what the other one is, as long as one is a boy, <laughs> who cares? Oh man, yeah, and then, uh, you know, my grandpa's 98 and he was in the video and he's just eating and he has no idea what's going on. <laughs> he just knows uh, everyone's like chaotic. Uh, uh, that is incredible. Yeah. That yeah. is, That's uh, wonderful. That, that made my inc- day. Aww. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? And it's um, very exciting. You know, I remember just to give everyone a sense of your mom, do you remember the first thing your mom said to me when I met her, which is now 11 years ago? Yeah. When you br- your mom came to the set of what was then The Tonight Show, and we hadn't even started The Tonight Show yet, and you brought your mother up to say hello to me? She said, you rock the USA. <laughs> she said, I said, oh, hi, how are you, uh, Mrs. Mavsesti? And she went, Conan, you rock the USA. And I was like, well, no, I don't. But that's, I never have and I never will. But that's a very sweet thing for her to have said. Yeah, she doesn't like it when I call you a dick on TV. That's no, something she, she brings up all the time. Don't call, She doesn't like that you disrespect me. Yes, she hates it. How does it. she like that you're regularly doing a segment called Big Dick History? <laughs> She does not listen to the podcast. Good. That's... Oh my God. I think she'd be horrified. Oh, uh, man. Well, this is exciting. This is really exciting. So I'm just yeah. so, I, and I, I, I check with you beforehand because I know I come across as a, an insensitive brute, but I do uh, want to make sure that I'm not revealing or making you say anything about your life that you don't want to. But this is, you, you, you were cool with talking about this. It's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're, um, Tack doesn't like when we like post things on Instagram. So we're not going to have like photo shoot and post anything. So this is pretty much my only way of like telling people I forgot to tell. So that's, that's, it's like killing two birds with one stone, I guess. Oh, good. Well, so we found a use for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) A baby announcement. (laughs) That's terrific, Sona. That's great. It's very convenient for me. Yeah. Thank you. Well, if anything else, you know, if you want to tell Tack what time his karate class starts, yeah, you can make that announcement too. Uh, Well, I just wanted to get, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that's out there. What What do they say in, in, uh, in Armenia, I mean, I know that like uh, the Jewish people would say like, oh, Mazel Tov, or is there any way of saying, what do you, what do you say? Like, Achkut Luis. It means uh, like uh, light Achka- to your eye. Light to your eye? What? <laughs> Achkut Luis, like your Achk 
your eye? Let light light in your eye. What's to going check. on over there? Yeah, I mean, birth certificates are coming months late, and <laughs> then the way on. you and then the way you you know in this country, p- applying light to someone's eye is a neurological exam. It's a way yeah. of telling if you've been injured. So if you and- want to congratulate someone, you could theoretically just shine a flashlight in their face. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Say, how do you say? Achgat Luis. Achgat Luis. Yeah. Achgat Luis. That's good. No, not Luis. Luis. You said lice. That was bad. I speak fluent Armenian. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah? Barev. 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 Inch Pasek. Barev. Inch Pasek. Lavem. Kevork. For God. You just said a name. Yeah. And you guys repeated the same thing over and over. Yeah. Cher. R.P. Ekmekjian. I went to high school with her. (laughs) Yeah. Cher. You know what's funny? Since since knowing Sona and famously knowing Sona, everywhere I go, Armenian people are like, Gone! <laughs> and I and then I go I go Barev inch pasek and they go love him and uh, now I can say what is it L- light in your eye light in your eye Achgat Luis Achgat Luis and then yeah. I can say share oh, uh, you don't have to say share Why? she's Armenian she's Armenian you're, you're just gonna yell out Armenian people and- well I'm not gonna mention the Kardashians oh it's probably for the best yeah, I think so. I think mm. share is the better way to go. Mm. All right. Well, c- congratulations. Congrats, Very happy. Sona. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's really wonderful. happy. Really Thank happy. You. If that's not a segment, I don't know what is. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.